Dear Prudence. 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 Do you think that I should contact him again? Help. Help. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Welcome back to the Dear Prudence podcast. I am Dear Prudence, also known as Mallory Ortberg. With us in the studio this week, uh, we have a very exciting guest, uh, Brooke Shelley, and I'm looking forward to introducing you to her in just a minute. But first, I'm going to be reading a uh, an email from a listener, which I know we do all the time because uh, that's how we get questions. But this is not a question. This is uh, a response to a question that has already been answered. Uh, this is the discourse. You are participating in, in real time. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I had uh, the guys from Politically Reactive on the show, that's W. Kamau Bell and Hari Kondabolu, and we chatted about a letter from a woman who had some questions about the guys that she was dating. Um, she was dating a lot of white guys and felt like she wanted some advice on how to figure out, are they dating in a way that's fetishistic? She's uh, Asian. And, and and how do I figure out, like, if he happens to have dated a lot of Asian women, how do I parse that out versus is he thinking of me um, in, in ways that are really, like, stereotypical and offensive? And so we chatted about that for a little while and we got a letter or an email, not a letter, from Caitlin um, that I'm going to read to you now. I'm so glad that she got in touch with us. She starts, hi, boys, which is just a great way to start an email. Um, I'm also going to include myself in this because I was there too, but I just wanted you to know she starts it with, hi, boys. I was so thrilled to hear a crossover between my two favorite podcasts that I was compelled to write a response. Here are my thoughts on the quote-unquote yellow fever question that you guys answered with Mallory. As a young third-generation Chinese-Canadian woman living in Vancouver, I know a little something about yellow fever. Because there's a big Asian population in Vancouver, I can't fault a guy for being attracted to Asian women or having a history of dating them. However, I find that there are still a lot of men who fetishize Asian women and have come up with a handy list of red flags. If a man asks, do you speak Chinese? Do you read Chinese? Or do you make whatever takeout dish he's thinking of back at home? And you reply, no. He responds with a condescending, oh, that's too bad that you don't stay in touch with your culture. That's a red flag. Speak some fucking Gaelic to me, asshole. If he can't see the irony in asking that new immigrants learn English and not limit themselves to ethnic groups, but still harasses you about having never gone to Chinese school, that's a red flag. If a man asks, so how long have you lived here? And you respond that you were born here. And then his follow-up is, but where were your parents born? It's a red flag. My favorite thing to do in this type of conversation is to mention that my family has been here for 110 years and refer to myself as an old stock Canadian. And if he excuses any of the above behaviors by stating that in Vancouver, white people are really a minority, that's another red flag. But yeah, I just wanted to read that. I think it was great to uh, hear from an actual uh, woman of Asian descent, uh, because that is pretty relevant to the question. Um, So I'm really glad. Thank you, Caitlin, for writing in and letting us know some of the tips that you have found helpful. Um, And I hope that you are able to continue ducking and dodging all of these red flags, uh, no matter how many men try to fling them at you. Uh, So with that note, I'd love to introduce you guys to Brooke Shelley. Uh, She gave me the following bio to read on her behalf, which is this. Brooke Shelley is a lesbian writer and engineer living in Portland with her cat, Snorri. She travels often and is trying to only give advice on podcasts. Hello, Brooke. Congratulations on traveling so much. Hey, Mallory. Thanks. It's, I really uh, like that you included that. It felt very like 1980s newspaper personal ads. Like, she likes to travel. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, it's I guess it's a hobby. I got um I finally got the TSA pre thing to make it a little bit easier. So I, is I it kinda, is it easier? Oh my god, it's like being in a different time. I feel like I, I teleported backwards to like the eighties or nineties. Okay. Yeah, so I can wear like so my boots it. and a jacket. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, that, that that like officially makes you a world traveler. You're one of those women who travel. That's and right. And when people talk about you, they'll have to say things like, "Well, Brooks very well traveled," which I'm, I'm, I think yeah. sounds like <laughs> 1930s like high society slang for a lesbian. I think like my if I were uh, trying to my profile still says noted sapphist. So I. <laughs> oh, you like your Twitter profile? You mean? Yep. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Not one of those unrecorded sapphists, are you? People <laughs> no. make a note of it. That's right. Um, Brooke, I'm really excited to have you on the show, not least because you once helped me very memorably terrify another guest of the show, mm. uh, which is that after we saw the movie The Boy, which is about like an evil doll with my sister, um, Brooke and I went to a secondhand shop and found the creepiest old China doll that we could and hid it in my sister's bed when we went to her house for a dinner party. And then I waited for her to text me like <laughs> terrified, incoherent noises later when she found it. And she did. It still makes me really happy that when we purchased that, the man in the shop was like, oh, are you a collector? And oh. <laughs> these dolls were not in good shape. They were no. really scary looking. It was like, no. Uh, I think we, we told him we were just because we wanted to like play along. I didn't want him to. Oh, I am incapable of like <laughs> conflict in person, especially when I'm at someone's place of business. Like I will never disagree with someone who's selling me something or working a cash register. I can't right. do it. If they say like, oh, you're from Mars, I'll be like, absolutely I am. It's so when he's like, you're a doll collector, I was like, yep, going to take these home, lovingly restore them, put them in the display case with the others. Also surprisingly difficult to sneak a large porcelain doll into a housewarming party. It was a real challenge, but we managed to make it work. <laughs> we did. Um, I'm proud of us. All right. Well, uh, with that all said, uh, I think we should get started. We should dive right in. Um, and I would love it if you would take us away with the very first letter. Yeah, great. So the first letter is, uh, um, the subject is racist friends. And it starts with, I am biracial of Asian and Caucasian descent. Recently, I woke up to a group message of 50-plus messages from several of my closest friends. They were discussing Black Lives Matter and a recent local shooting, and the blatantly racist, hate-filled, stereotyped messages they were sharing broke my heart and infuriated me. I was so upset I couldn't even respond. I deleted the thread and I tried to forget it. But I can't let it go. Is it too late to say anything? If so, what could I possibly say to these people who until now I thought the world of? Is there any hope of changing their minds or should I just chalk this up to a life lesson and walk away? Man, what a thing to wake up to. Right? Just like 50 plus messages just letting you know that some of your really close friends believe like terrible racist things. Yeah. I, I mean, I guess I'm surprised that it hasn't come up before, um, mm -hmm. that it took until now and, you know, year of our Lord 2016 to, to, to be revealed, but... <laughs> Yeah. Yep. yep. You know, some people, I think some people like wear that stuff on the outside really, really proudly. And sometimes stuff surprises you. Sometimes you can know someone for a really long time and then learn something that they believe or don't believe or that they feel really strongly about can just come as a total uh, curveball. No, it's definitely true. I mean, I think that uh, so I get today is like national coming out today. And it's the same mm -hmm. kind of thing for that. When you come out, all of a sudden people are like, oh, you've been a gay the whole time. Um, although in this case, <laughs> yeah. they're coming out as racist, which is decidedly less cool. 
Yeah. Yeah. No. So, I mean, like her question, right, is, is it too late to say anything? And then if so, what can I say? And what do I say to try to change their mind? So that's a couple questions. And like one is, no, I don't think it's too late to say anything. I don't ever no. think it's too late to say anything, basically. Like, right. if if anyone just needs like blanket permission to bring something up, you have it from me right now. Bring it up. It's okay. Yeah. Doesn't I mean, I live in the land of... I live in the land of uh, non-confrontation in Portland, but I'm mm-hmm. a big fan of direct communication. If, if there's an issue, if you actually value these people, say something. Say something to them right. now. Do you think that they sh- that she should send back a group text message? Or do you think that she should uh, talk to them in a different format? I guess it depends on how many of those people are her closest friends. If they are all her closest friends, perhaps a group text message, but she could quickly get drowned out. Maybe saying a statement in there like, I firmly disagree. I'm going to reach out to you individually and then do so. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then, I, I you know. think it, I think that that's a good point. Like, I, I understand. It's obviously we're even further out now from when she wrote the letter. So it might it might be late to text a, a reply, especially since she deleted the thread. Right. Um, but I think I think there's kind of two things to bear in mind here, one of which is just you want to register um, that you really don't agree. And the other one is you want to have a conversation and you're kind of hopeful that you could change some of their minds. And I think you need to remember those are two really different things. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, for you to just say, like, I think you really mischaracterized the Black Lives Matter movement. I think you said things that really offended and hurt me, especially as a person of color. And I just want you to know that. And I think it's really okay for you to say that and to not worry about if I don't change their minds, then it wasn't worth having this conversation because it's very possible that that you won't, or at least not in the moment. Um, and I just want you to know that it is worth speaking up both for your own behalf um, and also on behalf of like other people that they're um, – you know, mischaracterizing and slandering. Like, uh, I think it's really good to speak up in moments like this, especially with close friends, even if it does not result in immediate change. And and you might still end up chalking it up to a life lesson and walking away. And in some ways, that's also politically powerful. If mm. people know that they can lose a friend over racist, bigoted beliefs, they might be more inclined to think about it some more. Um, right. It is maybe the first time they've been challenged in their whole life because they've perhaps been surrounded by other white people who have sort of racist views informed by white supremacy in our nation. And like they're just walking around repeating these things to each other occasionally and everyone's saying, ha ha, you, you bet. And right. you, no, you're they- saying, actually, I only not only don't agree, I don't even want to hang out with you anymore. This is really infuriating and disgusting. Like that's real. Yeah. Yeah. And I think. Like, they clearly thought that they were, that what they said was going to be received well. They right. thought it was going to be agreed with. They thought it was going to be appropriate. Like, they thought they were in a, like, safe space. Um, and I think for you to let them know, not only do I really disagree with what you said, it hurt me to learn that you think this way. Um, and I think that that can be really powerful for someone to realize, like, this is not just people as an idea or in the abstract. This is somebody I know. And again, that doesn't mean that they're going to immediately say, my God, you're right. I I really need to like examine right. what I'm doing with my life and change. But um, like I think I think it would be damaging to you to not say anything. I think it would be painful for you to continue these friendships while you're in the back of your head. You're thinking now I know this about them, um, and they think I think it's fine. Like I think that would cause you pain, and I don't want right. you to go through that. And imagine um, being at a party or somewhere social and them saying this in public and you being associated with them as well, right? Uh, it's going to be even more difficult at that moment to say something. It's better to say something now, make sure they know. And right. and it's likely I'm going to go out on a limb and say these might be friends that you have known for a long time, maybe through childhood. Mm-hmm. Um, I had to find a lot of new friends as an adult 
uh, both because of moving and because of coming out. And um, it's so much better when you're an adult and you can talk about things that are important at the get-go and you aren't just united by the region that you grew up in or the sports team that you both watch. You like have other things to chat about. So the likelihood of this happening again, it might be low because you maybe you talk about this stuff more often now or maybe it comes up. Uh, you'll be more aware. Yeah. No, no, I'm just sorry. I mean, that just had to have felt so disheartening and isolating to wake up after a shooting, see a bunch of yeah. text messages from people you were close with that were, you know, racist and hateful. Like that just had to be painful. It had to make you feel isolated. It had to make you feel like you were uh, unaware of their true nature. And it had to just make you feel like close to racism in a way that was painful to you. And I'm just sorry. Um and I think you have every right to say that was not okay and it caused me pain and it makes me not want to be close with you. And I hope you reconsider. Um, and I hope that they do. I hope they I do hope too. That you get an apology. But even if you don't, even if they don't change their minds, if they respond really defensively, like they're letting you know what kind of people they are. And, and that gives you all the information you need to pursue other friendships with other people. And there are so many awesome people out there to meet and hang out with that yeah, uh, won't wake you up in the morning. Yeah, who do not respond to shootings right. by sending racist text messages. Yeah, who um, may even like go with you to rallies or like work with you on uh, activism. So yeah, yeah. Uh, woo. Okay, so uh, <laughs> on a completely different note, uh, the subject of our next letter is Ambien Zombie Husband. Which feels like such a throwback to like seven years ago. I feel like seven <laughs> years ago, everybody had Ambien problems. I don't know if you remember that like kind of well-known comic it's like a guy standing by his window in his pajamas and he's holding his keys out the window talking to a walrus in a top hat that's sitting outside and he's just like not now ambien walrus i have to lose my car keys um, <laughs> i don't remember that but i remember there being like youtube videos of like maybe ambient olympics uh oh my God. there were youtube videos of people would film of themselves taking ambient and then staying up and then um sort of coercing that state of of like well, um wildness that is just a misuse of prescription drugs. And <laughs> I completely I do not agree. Endorse that on my podcast where I Same. give advice to people. But I also I am thinking of a couple of specific people I remember from a very different time in my life who found a lot of joy in taking Ambien, uh, not as prescribed, and then riding that bananas line of that gravy uh, train. being <laughs> awake and dreaming. Yep. Anyways, uh, <laughs> I, I don't want to reminisce along those lines any further. I will now read this letter. Dear Prudence. My husband has a job that involves night work, and he has an irregular sleep schedule, so he's prescribed Ambien to help him get to sleep. Unfortunately, this makes him, like many other users, sleepwalk and exhibit odd behavior. For example, I found him at 5.30 this morning in his boxers, urinating off of our front porch, and we don't live in the country. These ambient shenanigans used to be irritating at worst and humorous at best, and of course my husband never has any recollection of them at all. However, we have a young baby. And I am terrified that my husband, in his somnambulant ambient days, will go pick up the baby and end up dropping him or randomly leaving him someplace in the house or outside. The potential scenarios could go on and on. I've tried to talk to my husband about this, but all he says is that he needs ambient to sleep or makes excuses or promises that he doesn't keep. I understand that his schedule is wonky and that he sometimes needs a sleep aid, but he won't even talk to his doctor about trying other medications. I've hidden and even thrown out the medication. I've threatened to call his doctor. He says he'll just go to another one. I've threatened to leave. I don't want to divorce him over something this stupid, but I also don't think it's unreasonable to feel that it's unsafe to have an amnesiatic sleepwalker in the house with a young baby. But what do I do? He doesn't seem to get it. Am I being excessively paranoid about this threat to my child's safety? I certainly don't want to sit back and wait for something awful to happen before I do something about this. And I can't stay up all night to police an ambient zombie. 
Wow. Wow. There's a lot there. Uh, I mean, it starts off kind of seeming like, oh, this person has an issue with a a side effect to a drug. And then it goes really deep into some relationship stuff. Yeah, yeah, no, that that was my first read on this too. I I read this beginning thinking, oh, we're going to have to figure out like maybe there's another drug that he could use or they yeah. could kind of talk about his behavior and then it sort of turned into what looks like pretty classic addict behavior, right. which is promising to change, breaking promises, uh promising to lie to doctors or to switch doctors, um you're trying to hide their medication and they're finding other ways to get it. I mean, this is like kind of textbook addictive behavior and i wonder um if you have considered the possibility that your husband is abusing ambien not using it um and is in fact pretty okay with the prospect of losing his marriage so that he can continue using ambien the way that he wants to right because like none of those communication methods that he's uh, responding with are okay right he's he's refusing to actually chat with you about this it sounds like um, refusing to go to the doctor with you to talk about this, uh, not willing in any way, it seems like, to work with you on it, maybe also disregarding any potential threat or risk. Um, it sounds like he's either not taking it seriously or, or yeah, or just doesn't care. Um, right. Both I of mean, which if are I were disturbing. Taking, if I were taking a sleep aid and, and someone told me, hey, like, you often wake up and wander around the house, um, you do things that are super inappropriate that I know you wouldn't do in your right mind, and it's making me really nervous – like, yeah. I don't think my first response would be, well, as long as I keep getting my Ambien, fuck off. Um, <laughs> like, I'd, I'd be concerned. Like, it would, it, it is inappropriate that your husband is responding to your concerns by saying, well, what are you going to do? And especially with a baby involved. I think that's, you know, it was just the two of you, two of you, and, and he was goofing around and being ridiculous. That's still a problem. But the fact that there's a child safety involved makes me even more like anxious for you. And, and I'm so sorry this is happening. Yeah. Yeah. So I think we are both agreed on the fact that like this letter writer is not overreacting. No. Um, and uh, I, I don't think you're being excessively paranoid. Um, there's I feel like we've all we're all fairly familiar with like the reports that some people have had of like driving on Ambien or, Mm -hmm. um, you know, doing really outrageous things. Again, it's not like PCP. I don't want to make it sound like anyone who takes Ambien is going to start flinging babies off the roof, but um, he has a history of unpredictable behavior when he's on Ambien. Um, And then even when he is not using it the next day, when you try to talk to him about what he does, he shuts down any feedback um, and basically has made it clear that like nothing's going to keep me from using Ambien. I don't care what you say to me. I'm going to find a way to invalidate it. I also want to call out, um, you said, I don't want to divorce him over something that's stupid. And I just want to make sure that you know, this is not stupid. This is a safety risk. This is a real, actual problem. Um, It may be an issue, like I said, of uh, possibly him dealing with addiction. It may be issues of of just like safety in a relationship. But A, you can divorce someone over just about anything, depending on the state that you're in, I think. And and B, this would be a legitimate reason to leave someone if they are disrespecting and refusing to engage with you um, on any real level about something that you are extremely worried about, right? Like, yeah. this is unacceptable I, in a relationship. Yeah, I just, I, I on the one hand, I'm totally like with this writer in the sense that like, I don't want to like ever casually advise people to leave their spouses, especially when there's a young child oh, I involved. Do. I always do. <laughs> 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 
Um, I don't mind doing it. I just don't want to do it casually. I want to take a second and make sure that it's the best choice. Um, I just like I, I, I think you've already gone to the point where like you've threatened to call his doctor. Like trust has really broken down here, right? Like you're at a point where you feel like, okay, you don't listen. I'm going to go over your head and call your doctor. That's not mm-hmm. a great sign that you guys are communicating well. And his response to that was great. I'll find another one. Um, and and that's just such dangerous behavior. That to me says the most important thing in my life is that I get to keep using Ambien the way I want to, hell or high water, everyone else be damned. And that's not someone I would want to be married to. I would also I suggest, say. and I don't think that you would ever consider this, but um, uh, in my family, in order to get someone to quit, people would often start doing something as well. Hmm. Uh, hmm. Like my mom started smoking to get my dad to quit smoking. Don't do that. <laughs> Yeah. Don't don't try to up the ante like you're in the right. Stay in the right. Um, protect your kid. Protect yourself. And, yeah. um, you know, maybe explore going to stay at a friend's house for a few days or something and just say, hey, I'm going to get out of town. Go stay with a friend or some family. Talk to them about it. Um, find a yeah. space where you feel comfortable uh, getting some actual sleep and not worrying all night because I'm sure mm-hmm. it's keeping you up. And take your kid with you when you go. Yeah. Oh, my God. Take your kid with you. Yeah. yeah, And I would say, like, talk to your own doctor. Talk to a therapist. Like, talk to somebody who is, like, a a credible health professional and say, like, this is what happens when my partner uses the substance. Here's how he reacts when I try to talk to him about it. Um, Because, again, like, replace Ambien with alcohol. And this, like, reads like something out of The Lost Weekend. Do you know what I mean? Like, I've Definitely. thrown out his booze, but he says that he's going to, like, do whatever it takes. Like, this is not normal behavior. Your husband is not – he's not treating Ambien like a regular sleep aid. Because if he were treating it like a regular sleep aid, he would say, like, I, I'm really sorry. I had no idea I was doing this. I'm nervous that if I switch to something else, it won't be as effective and I'll be sleep-deprived all the time. But obviously, safety first. Let's go to the doctor and talk about my other options. Uh but this, yeah, no, I, I think you have to say, like, you've tried talking to him. You've tried hiding it. He's made it really clear that he is not interested in modifying his behavior at all. I think your next step is, I don't want to do this. This was not my goal. You've made it so clear that Ambien is, like, your first priority that I'm moving out and I'm taking our child. And, like, if you ever want to go to a doctor together and talk about your other options, like, I would love to do that. But in the event that you can't do that, I'm going to take the steps that I think are necessary to keep our kids safe. Yeah. Um, and and maybe try to have these conversations with an arbiter once you're out of the house, like some sort mm-hmm. of um, couples therapist or something. So yeah, maybe even hearing like, a third uh, party might help him understand how ridiculous he's being, how yeah. possibly abusive he's being. Yeah. No, I mean, this like, again, I don't I don't want to like label a lot of like letter writers, partners, addicts, but this is classic addictive behavior just For in sure. the sense of... I will not listen to any kind of uh, criticism of my behavior while I'm on this substance. I cannot give up this substance or modify my relationship to it in any way. This comes first. And, like, I don't think he would do these things in his right mind. Like, I don't think in the light of day he would say it's so important to me that I'd be able to pee off the porch in the middle of the night that I'll I'll let you leave our marriage. Like, right. Um, He's not like, I'm finally living. This is my midlife crisis. I'm so much enjoying, you know, just running around and losing my mind. Right. I think he has has gotten to a point where he feels like he needs Ambien in order to function, in order to live, in order to cope. Um, and that anything that threatens his continued use and abuse of it um, is something that he has to fight. And unfortunately, that includes you. 
And I think the best thing you can do for yourself and your kid is to accept that you can't make him change his behavior. You have tried really, really hard. And now all you can do is take care of yourself and encourage him to be honest with his doctor about the side effects of Ambien and the way that he's treating it. Because there are other sleep aids out there, man. Like, that is not your only option. Um, mm, Yeah. Yep. No, sorry. I just keep thinking through, like, if I had a sleep disorder and I had to take Ambien, I'd be like, (laughs) okay, like, lock me in. You know what I mean? Like, lock me in the room. Like, that's obviously suboptimal. But as long as our kid's a little one, like, hide the keys. Like, let's take certain precautions so that I can't do certain things. But he's just like, nope. Yeah, you just nope, say, like, I turn into werewolf That's... at night, like, chain me up, don't let me yeah. out. <laughs> and then later yeah, on, I mean... I'm going to, like, throw a sheep in there with me and I'll eat. It'll be good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't I don't want to advise people to chain anyone up either while they're... No, no, I mean, that's extreme. Because that could result in some possible self-harm. But, um, yeah, no, he's not... Nope, not cool. Not cool. All right. Uh, let's... Let's let's completely change tactics yet again and uh, tackle a question about roommates. Yeah, you want me to read this one? Yes, please. All right. Subject is roommate crit. I can't I tell, my... by the way, if that was short for criticism or criteria. Yeah. Um, or the race you do with bicycles. Definitely not the race you do with bicycles. Um, There's a race with bicycles called crit? Yeah, you do crits. Um, I think it's like the ones you go on tracks with. I don't know. I only ever did fixed gear races because I'm a weirdo. Um, I know that but... you're from Portland, but I don't want to talk about bicycling right now. <laughs> I'm still broken from the last time. Um, All right, read the letter. (laughs) I own my own home in a city where rents are rising and property is hot. I have five roommates who have lived with me for several years without incident. My best friend got screwed over by her ex, so I let her move in with me on a reduced rent so she could save up and get her life in order. Well, one girl got in a conversation with her and let it slip that the rent I was charging her was a third of everyone else's. This has sparked a cold war. Apparently it isn't fair. I reminded them that even with the internet and utilities, I wasn't charging them even half of what a studio apartment costs in our area. Since then, there have been fights and passive-aggressive attempts to punish me, like not taking out trash or blocking my car in with theirs. The entire situation is ridiculous, and I'd rather everything go back to the way it was, but I will give them 30 days eviction notice if it comes to that. It is only two of them who are the serious agitators, and I am really hurt and pissed off at them. I consider them friends, and I'm wondering if I have gone past the point of no return now. Any thoughts to get me out of this mess? Oh, this one's so good. It's got everything. <laughs> Cold War. Oh, my God. I, oh, I, this is I, one of my I, biggest I, fears. I felt honestly. my blood pressure triple while I was yeah. listening to you read this letter. It's infuriating. I, 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 so I live in a place that rents are rising rapidly and like I have more resources than a lot of folks because I work in tech and I've thought about owning a house in the same regard and reading this just like validated every fear that I've had about doing so. <laughs> like, oh God, I can't. No, I can't and it's always it. the worst, whether it's like siblings when you're a little kid or roommates when you're an adult, when everyone gets into like scarcity thinking where there's just like clearly what everyone's thinking is just it is unacceptable that yeah. anyone's paying less rent than I am. And I have got to let this pressure off somehow. And I, like, cannot accept it. So I need to, like, drive everyone bonkers until something gives. And you don't say if these these other roommates are your friends, right? So this is your best friend. This is, like, a, maybe a sister or a brother to you, right? Um, and Yeah, they said that the other roommates are just, like, people who've lived with them for a couple years yeah. without incident. It sounds like they're friendly but not close. And this person's a personal friend. Right. And I think this is the hardest part about like doing something um, like 
offering like lower rents to people that you like is they start to think the relationship has shifted. It obviously seems like they think that um, you deserve to be treated badly for doing nice things for them. I mean, I think they've forgotten that the rent they pay, uh, as you tried to remind them, is a favor that you do for them every single month. It is a nice thing. It is not something you have to do or obligated to do and definitely isn't something you continue to need to do um, except we're contractually obligated, right? And right. Yeah, like you get to say no. <laughs> you get to no, have the rough. ability to like say, hey, uh, A, you can't get mad about this and B, um, even if you are, you can't block my car or not take out the trash. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think part of what's rough, too, is that the letter writer says that this was, it sounds like a pretty short-term fix. Her friend was in a really rough living situation because yeah. of, like, getting uh, vaguely screwed over by an ex. So she's just doing this to save up money. It's not like she's going to live here forever now and get, pay way less rent. Um, and I don't know if she communicated that to her roommates when the friend moved in. Like, it's possible she was like, hey, Sandy lives here now, everyone. Um, right. But even so, like... That's you own the property. house, you're allowed to bring in a new roommate. Um, and you also don't say what the room situation is, right? I think part of what people get frustrated about sometimes is like, well, her room's bigger than mine and she pays $300 less a month. It also doesn't matter, right? I think right. that's that's a key thing. If if you're staying with people that uh, ostensibly are your friends or have become your friends, um, stick to what you've negotiated and like what other people are paying is none of your business. Like it doesn't matter. Right. Like, right. <laughs> Right. No. And it's just, uh, yeah, this is a totally separate situation. I can certainly understand, like, if I were in their situation, I heard about it. I definitely understand feeling frustration. Like, I don't think that's a, an absurd reaction. I think the way they're expressing their frustration is outrageous. Right. Um, so I totally understand, like, being a little knocked back. I even understand wanting to vent about it with friends. I even understand wanting to talk about it with your, like, landlord slash co-roommate, um, but not not blocking their car in or refusing to take out the trash. Like, that's such an inappropriate response, especially when you yourself are already, like, receiving a really, really fair rent. Um, right. Like, a more <gasps> than fair, right? Brooke, this reminds me of the Bible. <laughs> Wait, where? Where in the Remember, Bible? There's literally... Quick, okay, I'm going to we pull both, my Bible we and both, find the chapter. We were both raised religious. So yeah, I feel we like were. The, the, parable, the parable of the day workers, right, from the we book We both had pastor dads. Um, the, it's true. Oh, the day it's workers. Yes. Oh, my God. Yes. Uh, my, my producer just like put up a figure and then like ran away. And I wondered for a second if she was going to find a Bible. Um, <laughs> but no, it's a parable of the day's wages. Right. Uh, right. In, in the book of Matthew, uh, where Jesus is just like, I forget what the gist of what he was trying to say was, but he was like, hey, think about this stuff. Like, imagine a landowner like hires people to work in the field and he hires some people in the morning and he's like, here's how much I'll pay you. And they were like, we agree. And then later he realizes there's more work and he hires some more people. And he's like, here's the same amount. And they're like, we also agree. And then the first group of people got super mad. And he was like, <laughs> did you not agree to that payment in the beginning? Which is like a weird thing for Jesus to be talking about. But the point is your roommates are acting just like these people, which is to say, like, your rent is already good. You don't have to worry about other people's business because your arrangement is fair. And, like, keep your eyes on your own paper. Um, and I, I feel like maybe maybe Jesus was speaking directly to this letter writer. I was or, about to say store up your treasure he in wasn't. heaven, but I don't think that's appropriate here. So, Yeah, I mean, whatever. I don't I, – I, I'm not here to, like, uh, try to – interpret things from the bible because clearly I, I barely remember what i'm talking about but the point is yeah so 
uh, I feel like you're already at a point where you're ready to give them 30 days notice, even though you don't want to. Um, They're behaving really passive aggressively. And I think the best response to passive aggression is directness. Um, For sure. I think you should call a good old fashioned roommate meeting, which is (laughs) everyone's favorite. Everyone loves it. No one will try to sneak out of it or like sit sullenly in the corner. And it's it's going to suck. But just do it and just be like, hey, guys, like I want to address this together because like the current way of handling it is not OK. I know that some of you found out that Sandy here has been getting a different rate. Um, I just want to acknowledge that she's going through a really hard time. She's a friend of mine. She's trying to save up so that she can get a place of her own. This is a temporary situation. Um, I like regret that you all found this out because I don't want you guys to start comparing rents with one another. Um, But also since you found this out, you've been doing things like refusing to take out the trash and blocking my car, which is not cool and makes living at home stressful and unpleasant. And I don't want to do that. I think that what I charge you guys is really fair. Uh, It's way less than what you would pay for a studio apartment in this neighborhood. Um, And I want to ask you to stop trying to subtly punish and ice me out. Um, If you can do that and we can go back to the way things were before, awesome. And if not, um, let's agree to part ways and you guys can look for another place and see if you can find rent elsewhere that you prefer. But that's what's what's on the table right now. I'm not going to start charging her more and I'm not going to start charging you less. This is the deal. Um, And you can either stop trying to punish me by blocking in my car, which I know you're doing on purpose, (laughs) uh, or, or you can, you know, move out. And I think emphasize too, like, hey, I know that we're friendly and I know that we may even be friends, but I'm still your landlord. This is still something we've agreed upon, either in writing or whatever else. Rent is what you're paying. I'm sorry if you no longer agree with that. We mm-hmm. can end our business contract. Yep. Um, but, you know, maybe it would be it, if these people are your friends, it might be better after all for them to move out while, you know before they get more and more frustrated with you. I think what happens sometimes in these housing situations too is you become the proxy parent. <laughs> so mm. people have issues with their mom or their dad. And and as soon as someone else has authority over them or perceived authority, they start to take it out on them. Sure. Um, well, right? Like all of a sudden it's been revealed. The house. That, yeah, so that like, you have more power than them. And they're like, oh, I can't even take it. Right. So they feel like the only thing that they can do to get back at you is to block in your car, which... Um, not appropriate, but I also like I do understand where they're coming from because they feel like you have all the power. They're experiencing an unfair situation and that's the most that they can do about it. Yeah. And it yeah. sounds like you did the right thing, you know, taking your friend and giving her like a place to stay. Like, congrats on that. Like, good job. Yeah, I, I, that was like, that's really nice really, of you. Really cool. That's a I great reason to have a house. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I just feel bad that they can't kind of like rally together and be like it's really cool that you are like letting this person save money so that they don't have to live with like their terrible ex who like left them in the lurch um, yeah yeah and i doubt not... your friend was bragging about the amount she was she probably wasn't like i'm only paying two hundred dollars for this place like a, a seriously doubt right, it came right. Up like, too, right i'm so glad <laughs> i went through a terrible breakup with someone who like screwed me over financially because now i have cheap rent for a few months while right. i completely like try to rearrange my upended life yeah so worth it <laughs> would do again yeah i think gotta be direct uh, do not start blocking in their cars because that would just make everyone unhappy. And nope. if they're like really shitty, then 
you know, give them 30 days notice. That is allowed. Yeah, it sounds you like not you won't have, have, have problems. Forever. You won't have any problem finding new roommates if you need to. It sounds like you're a great landlord. So yeah, the the, yep. the one thing I would say is definitely like brush up on tenants' rights in your area. For uh, sure. If you are a landlord, like make sure that you give them everything that they are entitled to within legal limits and whatever that looks like. Maybe it's longer than thirty days notice. Maybe it's written notice. Um, whatever they are entitled to, make sure that you know it and offer it to them um, because that is a good thing to do. And don't let the fact that you're angry with them allow you to retaliate in kind because you have more institutional power behind you. If you retaliated in kind, it would carry more weight. Um, Also, be very sure to protect yourself. Um, Whenever you're in one of these situations, even if people are friendly or you're friends of yours, especially if they're friends of yours, have a contract, have something written up, um, get someone to look over it. You just want to protect yourself in this situation right. because like things can go wrong. Breakups can happen. Like yep. people can feel betrayed and then they can go after you and you can end up in a lot more legal issues and troubles than you should over some sort of like interpersonal conflict. So I'm just remembering now I used to have a roommate who was in the process of going to small claims court with a former oh roommate <laughs> who had like never released the security deposit and like didn't like the way that their living situation had ended. So had just sort of like like refused to turn over keys, just like dragged their feet, like wouldn't wow. let them take stuff out of the common area. And it was just a nightmare for her. And it was just yeah. like when when things deteriorate to that point, especially with someone you're living with, it's just miserable. It's never fun. I felt really bad for her. She was really nice. And hopefully you can nip this in the bud before it gets to that point. I mean, it sounds like there's some crap that's happening. It doesn't sound like the worst necessarily. Hopefully they're um, receptive to talking and, and right. can say, oh, I'm sorry, I was being a jerk. Thank you so much again for letting me stay here. Like, this is an awesome place. And then you can move forward. That would right. be great. Right. And sometimes people will respond if they are, like, really, like, digging their heels into the passive-aggressive tactic. And you'll say, like, and you guys have been, you know, not taking out the trash and blocking in my car. And sometimes people will choose to respond to that with plausible deniability and say, I don't know what you're talking about. And that's just bullshit. Um, and <laughs> you don't have to, like, get into an argument to convince them of what they're doing because that would just make you feel like you were being driven slowly insane. And you can yeah. just say, here's the dynamic. It's really clear to me. If you're not going to acknowledge it, I'm going to take that as a sign that you don't want to live here. Like, just get that really clear. Don't let them make you think that you're crazy for noticing what you're noticing. I hope they don't do that. But sometimes when people go the passive aggressive route, they really commit. They really do. Or it might even say something like, well, you block in my car sometimes, too. Right. And it's just like, look, that's not about that. We're talking yes. about this other thing. Oh, I'm just like, I'm I'm having so many flashbacks to so many different roommate meetings I've had over the years where like all of a sudden, once someone decides to bring up a complaint, everyone's finally ready to say all the things that have been bothering them that they've been keeping up inside, where it's just like, and you never wash your forks. Um, (laughs) Like I count forks in your room all the time. And it's just like, oh, no. Now right. is now is the time. And your cat smells uh, bad. I think uh, house meetings are the reason why I no longer live in punk houses, um, among many other things, like being in my 30s. But uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> don't miss it. I really want to have you back on the show and have uh, an entire theme where the episode is just advice from the perspective of someone who has lived in punk houses. <laughs> yes. Awesome. I'm into um, it. We're going to do, <laughs> like, do that. Just like, you should own more than one pair of pants. You kind of smell. <laughs> If you can afford to own more than one pair of pants, yeah, I definitely like recommend it just to have one for nighttime and one for daytime even. It's not a bad idea. All right. I, I do feel like you and I could talk about living situations for days, but I do want to get to our last letter. Um, I'm really excited about this one. I am too. This one is, we have some real all-stars today, Brooke. I we saved do. you some really good do. stuff. All right, Thank here you. we go. <laughs> yeah. Dear Prudence. 
I swear I am not jerking your chain. This is a real letter and a real problem. I have a coworker, a few years older than I am, from another culture. We became friends at work, and gradually he started calling me his best friend. Then he started touching me on the shoulder. Then he started putting his arm around me in a side hug that was awkward and made me feel uncomfortable. A few weeks later, he started to kiss me, either on the forehead or the cheek, with his hands firmly holding my head in place in the office. It's so obviously unwelcome that I thought he realized how I felt, but eventually a male coworker, a mutual friend who was once himself disciplined for sexual harassment, had to tell him to knock it off on my behalf. It stopped. He also stopped speaking to me for a few days, but gradually things evened out. But a week ago, the kissing started again. If anyone saw this, they might think we were kissing each other consensually. He's married. I'm happily dating someone else, and it's not clear to me if his intentions are inappropriate, but our handbook says that if anyone sees this and feels uncomfortable, they can file a complaint of a hostile workplace. I'm not clear as to whether I would be equally culpable in this case, but I've let a few other coworkers know what's happening in the hopes of avoiding discipline for being harassed at work. Please take this question seriously. What should I do? Oh, God, oh I just God. want you to know that I take this letter seriously. <laughs> I take this so I, seriously. I want to rip off my skin while I was reading this letter. It made me so uncomfortable. I 100% uh, believe that this is happening. And I am so, 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 so sorry. I just want to start yelling. I want to be in that office and just start yelling. Uh, yeah, I want to find out where this letter writer lives and just go, like, start throwing hands, man. I just... I just Ooh. kept thinking stranger danger, but that's not actually the phrase that's appropriate here. <laughs> But it feels like it. Yeah, I do want to start by saying, like, this poor woman, uh, oh my God. I, I, I want you to know that that luckily you have fundally, fundamentally misunderstood, like, what any kind of a complaint could look like. Like, you are not in trouble here. You no. are the person who is experiencing a hostile workplace. And I get why, why she might be afraid, right? Because she's thinking like, well, what if people think that I want to be kissed? But I bet it's obvious to everyone but that coworker. <laughs> Right. Well, it's clear, like, you're familiar, I assume, with the sort of fight, flight, or freeze response that Mm -hmm. often is, like, people will choose one of those three when they feel threatened. Um, And, like, she's clearly freezing up. And I get it. Like, you've already, he's already, somebody else has already told him on your behalf to stop, and it stopped for a little while. Um, You're clearly, like, really freaked out by this. You don't want it. You're not inviting it. You're not responding or reciprocating. Like, um, I, I just want you to know that even though you have felt like previously unable to push him away or say no in the moment, like you are not inviting this behavior. This is not normal no. workplace behavior. Um, I know you say that he's from another culture, but like it, this is not workplace culture. Like he knows what is appropriate and inappropriate behavior at work. And this is not it. So and if again, you didn't, like, don't feel this like other you're person not has res- already talked to him. Right, exactly. Another person who, like, what a little detail, has already been investigated for sexually harassing someone else. Like, this guy is harassing you so much, other sexual harassers are trying to, like, help you out. It takes one to know one. Oh, my God. Um, I, and I love how, you know, he. it sounded like he iced you a little bit and was like, oh, we're not best friends anymore. And then gradually was like, but are we? In fact, we are. I'm doing this again. Yep. It, just the... the the gall of this man is yeah. is beyond belief. Well, and like um, again, the slow escalation. Like first, yeah. I'm gonna touch her on the shoulder, then I'm gonna give her a weird side hug, and she's again hoping, like, okay, if I were doing this and someone froze up when I touched them, I would know and I would stop. 
So she's right. giving him the signals that she would interpret, like, um, cause Which she's is common. That's a thing. Okay, of course, because like when somebody escalates really inappropriate behavior, it's super normal to freeze up and especially to think, wait, am I misreading something? I don't understand. Did I do something that signaled I wanted this? Like she was hopeful that he would stop when she was not responding. And then he like took that as an excuse to escalate his behavior. And now he's like going out of his way to see how much he can get away with. And I am just so sorry. That's and, awful. And- and you didn't say this at all, but if, if you had any thought that um, by saying no or saying, hey, I'm not OK with this at all, you might be like making a big deal out of it or, or escalating in some way. You are not. And right. I, I 100 percent I have had um, a lot of friends who've dealt with violence and I've dealt with some stuff myself. When you are encountering a man who is um, making you uncomfortable or or touching you or doing anything like this that like is absolutely not OK and unwanted. Sometimes it feels like, oh, if I respond to this person because it does happen, um, they're going to take it up a notch, right? They're going to take it even further. Right. In this case, like the good thing is in some ways that you are coworkers. Maybe you have an HR department. Maybe you, you obviously have a handbook. You have some recourse. This isn't like um, a street harassment situation or a, at the bar or club. Right. Like, you get to say no. You have some ideally some structures in place that can help you um, firmly say no. And if he doesn't respect that, he shouldn't be working with you. He probably right. shouldn't be working anywhere until he deals with this. Because, yeah. And, I also... That said, you're not responsible for him, you know, never doing this again somewhere, right? This is not your responsibility. Right. I, I also, uh, reading a little bit between the lines, you know, she says that we were friends at work. Um, he's older than I am and he's from another culture. And it, the implication I get from that is she's a little concerned that right. if she says no to the kissing, she will somehow like be acting offensively or disrespecting his culture. Again, that's just not the case here. Nope. Um, like in the workplace, in your handbook, it is pretty clearly laid out that coworkers don't kiss each other. Um, so please don't feel like in some way you would be uh, like causing him harm uh, or disrespecting like his culture of origin. That's not an issue here. I just think yeah, that you're that's always allowed to, to have bodily autonomy and agency. And if doing like a French kiss greeting or whatever, not a French kiss greeting, but the greeting that people do in France to uh, anyway, the cheek thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if doing that makes you uncomfortable, hell, if shaking hands makes you uncomfortable, say no. You can say no. Yeah. You have the ability not to be touched um, when you don't want to be touched. And I wish that we could somehow as a culture all try to understand this. It, right. It's you never have to be touched if you don't want to be touched. Yeah. Amen to that. So, okay. So she says uh, she's let a few other coworkers know what's going on in the hopes of avoiding discipline and then wants to know what should she do. Right. What advice do you want to give her? Take us away. Yeah. So, um, you know, been in a lot of office situations. The first thing you do is go talk to your boss and talk to maybe HR. Say, this is what's going on. This is what's happened so far. I felt scared and uncomfortable or, or whatever you felt. Um, I don't want this to happen anymore, and I would really appreciate your support in this. Um, what they may do from there is they may talk to him privately. They may ask you, uh, uh, hey, can we come back and talk to both of you? Um, one thing I would really, really recommend talking to your boss or HR is at the end of the meeting, um, confirm with them verbally that you understood what they said. So say, mm-hmm. I understood X, Y, Z to to be the next steps and have them agree with you um then send a follow-up email and say hey we discussed this and this is what's going to happen next because the more paper you have and the more sort of um verbal assent that goes on here the better it's going to be uh 
And then from there, just follow along with the process. Um, yeah, I've been in places where this stuff goes forward and nothing great comes out of it because HR mostly exists to protect the company. Right. But in this case, it's usually pretty clear cut. Sexual harassment is something they do actually take seriously in many cases. Um, they don't want a lawsuit. Right. Uh, but absolute worst case, if you go through some sort of mediation process or whatever else happens and nothing gets better, go find another job. And they should be more than happy to help you find another job. Um, yeah. I- but this man should be the one finding another job, not you. That's I, I kind of want to jump onto that, which is just, yeah, I, I think absolutely immediately go to your boss and immediately go to HR. We've talked on this podcast before about how HR is an imperfect animal and uh, has very specific limitations. But this very clearly falls under sexual harassment. And it is very much HR's job to help resolve this. Um, Yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, bring any documentation you can tell them what you told us, like that this behavior has been escalating, that someone's already spoken to him about it um, and that he's continued and he's continued to escalate and make it really clear that it's, you know, that you are uncomfortable and afraid to speak to him about it. Um, Like it's clearly affecting you in a really upsetting way. Um, And I think uh if 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 they try to say, oh, well, can you talk to him? Or if they're not giving you the resources or if they say, oh, well, can you still work with him one on one? Like you can draw a really firm boundary and say no. Yeah, um, definitely say no. And if and if they're sort of listless about it and you pursue this and you follow up and they're like, well, what are you going to do? I mean, this is not something that I think you should l- let them drop the ball on. Like, I hope they don't. I hope they're really, really on top of this. I hope that they speak to him and, like, fire the shit out of him. Yeah. Um, uh, and if they don't, I think, like, I, I just want to encourage you, like, call a good lawyer. Talk about your this options. This is something where you definitely get pursued litigation. I would yeah. also encourage you, if you have friends at work, it sounds like you've talked to about this, right? Maybe people have seen it. You know, bring mm-hmm. them as backup, like have yeah. them also talk to your manager, have them also talk to HR. Yeah. Um, yeah. Tell them, like, them. Look, I Say, told Andrea two weeks ago. I told right. Simone. I told whoever. Make a case. Um, It sucks that that has to happen. Right. This yeah. should just be one of those things where the person goes, oh, oops, I'm sorry. I way overstepped a bound, um, but it didn't. And now it has to get a little bit more serious. And I'm yeah. really sorry it has to go this way. Because this is not accidental. I'm super like, brave this is just to not... take care of this and deal with it. Yeah, no, I'm I'm so glad you wrote to us. I'm so sorry you're going through this. And I just want to make it really clear. Like, this is not accidental and this is not a mistake. No. This is a pattern. He has isolated you. He has tested the waters. He has escalated. When somebody else tells him to stop, he backs off just long enough to make sure the heat's off of him and then he starts it again. He's going to keep doing this. And like, I'm just so sorry that you have to work with this predator. Um, and I hope very, very much that your bosses like take swift steps to remove him from the company. I don't think this is a case of, oh, he got confused about whether or not it's cool to kiss someone at work. <laughs> I mean, this is not an accident. He has already been warned away and right. has started it again. Um, you have never said, boy, I love our kisses. Uh, you've never like melted into his arms and like spun him around in circles. You're not like right. responding with warmth and joy and delight. Like You aren't grabbing is... his face and kissing him. Yeah, yeah. This is so not okay. He should be fired. He should be right. so fired. He should be deeply rethinking his choices in life. And his wife should be like seriously questioning his judgment, his boundaries, and his character. Um, he is not a good per- – well, 
He is not making good choices. He is not making um, good choices. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't know if he's not a good person. But in this he case, he's clearly in the wrong. And He's and, not pursuing his best self right now. And if he wants to be a good person, yeah. he's got to do a real 180 um, and make some changes in his life. Um, oh, and hopefully God, he I does. hope we hear from you again. Please write us back yeah. and let us know how talking to your boss and HR goes. I hope they take it so seriously. For and sure. Don't kiss your coworkers, guys. Don't, don't kiss them at just work. Don't. don't kiss them after work. Don't fall in love with them. Don't date them. It's a bad idea. Just everything is bad. Just if you're there, you put it on hold. I mean, this is so clearly not like falling in love after work at happy hour, right? Like, don't just don't don't grab them. Don't kiss them. Don't call them your best friend. Just do your job. Be nice to your coworkers. Don't read into a situation where someone is trapped in a place with you as them also liking you. Like, be really, really clear. I just want to, like, remind everyone, if somebody freezes up when you touch them, that is not permission. That is not consent. That does not mean that they like it. If somebody goes stiff and rigid and they look panicked, that means no, you fuckhead. Yeah. I was going to say, when when she said he's from another culture, I was like, well, yeah, no, it sounds like he's from, like, a predatory rape culture, um, (laughs) which is the culture that exists in America for so many men. So, yeah, uh, yeah, not okay. (laughs) Obviously, you're not part of that culture. And Freezing up is not yes. No, it's not okay. Knock it off, you cock jockey. (laughs) All right. Okay. Uh, This is great. We've just decided we're going to do a voicemail. We finally have been getting some voice recorded questions, which I I have been repeatedly telling you guys to send in and, and have not so much been... Um, playing on the air, and and I've asked Brooke to stick around for an extra uh, shot at advice giving, and she's graciously agreed. So uh, we're going to take a crack at this voicemail from Elizabeth, who has gone off her birth control without telling her husband. Uh, hi, my name's Elizabeth. Um, I made a huge mistake. Um, I've been married with my husband for seven years. We have two great sons together. Uh, and overall pretty happy. Um, we've been talking about having a third child, which I feel very strongly that I want to, and he is a bit more ambivalent about it. Well, I stopped taking my birth control um, and was putting it down the sink, uh, but I had been told him that I had stopped. Um, Neil's to say he found a pill in the sink um, while he was brushing his teeth and was very upset about it, understandably, and feels like this is a huge violation of his trust. I I feel like that this is something under normal circumstances I, I, I wouldn't have done. I'm just so emotionally caught up in this, um, in this idea of having a third child. Um, I feel like that it will complete our family and that this is really something that that I want. Um, that being said, I I know that I've really hurt him, and I hate that I've done this, and that this could really harm not just my and his relationship, but our family. Um, we were actually um, going to counseling currently um, because I've been so upset about this. You know, whether I have to have a third child, um, but. Beyond that, you know, that we'll continue to go to therapy, but what else can I do to help rebuild um, our trust? 
um, or his trust in me. I we've had a really good relationship for for a very long time, and I I just don't know what to do. Woo! So yeah, just uh, stop the old stop taking the birth control. That's Yep, that that's is. A move. No, and I, th- this is terrible, but my first thought listening to that was don't put your birth control down the sink. That messes up fish. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, don't. This don't is pollute. not the first um, point we should be discussing, but if you need to get rid of no, old medication, um, please look up in your area what are appropriate ways to dispose of unused medication. I, I know this sounds really ridiculous, but like you genuinely can mess up like the water supply. Um, often pharmacies will take unused medication. Uh, fire departments often will. Sometimes hospitals do. Um, I'm actually super serious. If you need to get rid of old medication that you don't want, please do not throw it in the sink or down the toilet because it will get into the water table um, and can seriously affect animals and other people. And I'm still on the um, bodily autonomy and agency and consent from from the yeah. last question we answered. So I just want to say real quick off the top that you always have the right to stop taking medication that you are taking. Um, I think that the best thing to do is work with your doctor on that to ensure that you don't run into a lot of side effects. But it is always your right to stop taking a medication that you are taking um, of your own volition. That said, when you've entered into some sort of like marital contract or um, a long-term relationship that you value with kids that you've raised with this person and which otherwise is great, definitely talk to them before doing something Yeah, I was going like to say, like... Um, it sounds like... I mean, talking yeah. about bodily autonomy it- and consent, like... He did not right. consent to have a third child. And I think, nope. like, I don't want to say that you are, like, an irredeemably bad person, but I just want you to know, I think it's really appropriate that he's responded with horror and a sense of violation because you violated him. I mean, you know, yeah. like this is, this is like, do not have a child with someone without checking in with them whether or not they're ready. Even if you really want one, that's not a good enough reason. Um, it would not be okay if your husband was, like, poking holes in condoms if you didn't want to have a baby and he did and it's not okay for you to lie to him about being on birth control um and i think i you know i joke as a lesbian about stealing seed to have a child with my um my well, sapphic lovers show you haven't but it never would actually yeah, happen yeah just in general don't steal people's <laughs> just don't do sperm. it um don't don't lie yeah. to them about being on birth control don't try to mess with their birth i mean just think about how you would feel if you had had three children, your husband really wanted a fourth, and you found out he had been replacing your birth control pills with sugar pills. Like, just just really, like, sit with right. that image and think about how violated you would feel, how betrayed you would feel, how hurt you would feel, and how much you would feel like you could not trust the person who slept next to you in bed. That's hard. And it sounds like you didn't think this through necessarily because I'm, I can't imagine what the conversation would have been like if you had gotten right. no, pregnant. No, I think... I, uh, I, I don't think you would have stuck with it and been like, oh, yeah, it's only 99.9%. It's always right. possible. And, and um, you know, very few people take it, birth uh, control perfectly. So often the percentage goes down right. to, you know, 85, 80%. And also if you take, if you eat grapefruit, that can affect it. Like <laughs> lots of ways are so to weird. Uh, cause, oh, it's a, it's a problem. But I think the first thing to do here in my mind is to own it. It sounds mm-hmm. like you're doing that. You know, I messed up. I'm really sorry. Um, you know, I'm either going to start taking birth control again or we need to find other ways of right and i can also understand if he does not feel like having sex with her right now i get it um i get it too i think it's really good that they're going to counseling i think it's really good that she's acknowledging that she did something wrong like it's clear to me from this like there's there's genuine anguish in her voice it's clear that she's not like 
I don't think she sat down and thought, how can I like squeeze a baby out of him? Because that's all I see him as. I think she was genuinely in a kind no. of fantasy land hoping, you know, if I just got pregnant, maybe he would just be so excited it wouldn't even matter. But you can't shortcut through other people's agency. And you can't, no, you you can't want can't. a baby so much that you think I would have it under any circumstances. Like you can't ask someone to be a parent. And you don't have to explain that. that. And I think it's great that you guys are going to therapy. Um, I think one of the things you've mm-hmm. got to address with your husband is like, I'm so sorry that you found out because I was sloppy and not because I told you. Um, like that's rough. Right. And, and again, like you just need to kind of be prepared for whatever feelings he, he has. Um, it may be that he doesn't want to sleep with you for a while. It may be that he doesn't ever want to have another child. It may be that he wants to end your marriage. Right. It may be that he wants to forgive you, but needs time. And I think you kind of need to. And these are get to a place where you can accept any of those possibilities and say, you know what, the most important thing to me is that I'm honest with you and you feel like you can trust me. Um, And so I am willing to take whatever consequences come from my actions because your trust is more important to me than some other child you may or may not want. And it should be like you should be able to put those like your your desire for a third child aside, because what would really complete your family is if your husband could trust you. Oh, that's such a good line. And I think that... Oh, I'm so good at this job. Yeah, it's totally true. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, the third child oh, is trust. Oh, the third child is um, trust. Oh, I should. I can't drop any of the microphones in here because they're all attached to I think it also head. goes without saying... Sorry, go ahead. It goes without saying here that that you, you don't talk about a third child for a while. Like, that's on mm-hmm. pause. He gets to bring um, that up. You can talk about a lot of things. He gets to bring that up when he wants to eventually, if he does. And, you know... Go through this reconciliation process, work with a therapist, be open, honest, communicative, come to the table with what you have available and be prepared um, for him maybe not to be coming to meet yep. you right away, right? He he may feel reluctant. He may feel hurt and betrayed like Mallory was saying. Um, give it time. Be patient. Love your children. Yep. Make sure that your two kids are not uh, caught up in this. You don't have to pretend like nothing's happening. I don't know how old they are, but um, they should definitely know that, you know, mommy and daddy are They're like less than seven years old, I think, because they've been married for seven years and she says they've since had two sons together. So I I don't think these are kids who are like necessarily old enough to hear like, mom, stop taking birth control. Yeah, age appropriate. (laughs) Um, But they might know that, you know, parents are fighting. And and I think when you have young kids, like you need to be able to tell them, like, we still love each other. We still very much love you. Um, we're just having an yeah. argument right now, like you have with yes. your sibling. Um, um, but yeah, I'm so glad you're going to counseling. I'm so glad that you were able to own it, that you didn't pretend that it wasn't true yep, or something. Yep, you didn't double down. Um, I think you've made some correct mm-hmm. steps and and you're on the right path. It's just going to be time. And yeah. oh, God, I, yep. <laughs> um, wanting things, regardless of what they are, sometimes makes us do some very uh, inappropriate or, or make some very poor decisions and... Um, this is one yep. of those no, cases. And I, I just think that this is all of us are capable of doing things that go against our values when we're afraid we're not going to get what we want. I think especially when you keep things to yourselves, like it's so clear that she felt like I need to have a third child. And if I were to really express to my husband how badly I want one and I didn't get it, I wouldn't be OK. So I have to do something to make sure I get it, even if he doesn't want it. And I have to lie to myself and convince myself that it's going to be okay and he either won't find out or he'll change his mind or he'll secretly be so happy once I get pregnant that he'll forget all about this um, because I, I can't even allow myself to mentally visit the world where I don't get a third child. 
Um, and it would be really sad. I, I, I don't want to like make light of the loss you would feel if you didn't get to have a third child that you wanted. Um, but again, right. like that third child cannot come at the expense of your husband's physical autonomy, uh, at the expense of his consent right. and at the expense of his trust. So you really gotta, you really gotta go on this journey with him here and kind of let him dictate, um, future child's planning and be really honest, be really honest in the future. Of and I that. think another question to ask yourself in general about like wanting this child is, um, would I rather have a third child or this marriage to this man who I've had two right. kids with? Because if it comes down to it, you know, when we want something that our spouse or our partner doesn't want, at the end of the day, we have a decision mm-hmm. that we can make, which is always stay with that person and agree not to get it or move on to someone else and try to get it that way. But um, and if you decide that, that's mm-hmm. your prerogative. But I can't imagine choosing a third child over an existing relationship. Right, with two children that you already um, love. Two is a great number. Two is also a prime <laughs> number. Like, it's yeah. real. I, I, yeah, I just want to... I, I feel like I want to stress both, like, the seriousness of her violation and also, like, the... the yes. The possibility of reconciliation with your partner. I don't think that like what you have done means you can't ever reconcile. I think it's uh, I don't want to either soften what you did or make it sound like it's not possible for you guys to work things out together. But you have to do it. Honestly, you have to face the depth of his feelings um, and you have to really engage with the possibility that you will not get the thing that you crave um, and ask yourself, what will I do? What will my life look like? How will I respond? What do I do when I don't get the things that I want? How do I respond to disappointment? Because that is that is your character, man. That's like the person that you are. When you get disappointed, how yep. do you respond? That's that's who you are. And I don't think you want to be somebody also, who steals genetic material to make children against someone else's will. Be be kind to yourself in this. I think that, you know, there's no reason to like put on a hair shirt and like rend your hair or clothes, right? Like you messed up you know you messed up move yep. forward um you're sorry be contrite but uh, you don't need to make a big show of it um you don't need to try to like make him his favorite meal for the next year or something uh, just ask him what he needs from you either through a counselor or on your own and then yep. offer that up and if it's something you can't offer up like figure out why yep. and how and and yep. work on that too but it sounds like his um, response has been it, really good so far right like he was upset he wants yeah, to go to counseling sure. he didn't move out like he's yep. he's feeling his feelings like i i think your husband's responded pretty admirably to this and i have like faith that you guys will be able to come through this together for sure yeah i think it's possible and i really hope uh the best for yeah. your family yeah man oh man the things we do in life Things we do I guess, for man. I guess. Um, th- th- I don't know if there was a theme today. The theme was what? Oh man! <laughs> the theme is the communication. Theme is so much. The theme is the being theme direct. Is life is such a rich yeah. tapestry. Um, the <laughs> just most sumptuous, rich tapestry ever strewn across a castle wall. Brooke, thank you so much for sticking around and answering a voicemail. Oh my oh, god! Thank okay. you. Um, yeah, that now, was fun. Now, I'm, I mean, I don't know if it can count as fun, but I, we had a good I time. enjoyed it immensely, and uh, I'm looking forward to the next Same. time that you come into the studio. Well, we live in dark times, and this was kind of a dark episode. So I want to close out on a semi-regular reminder that I offer people who follow me on Twitter. Uh, which is that 
There's a non-zero chance that Eartha Kitt once had a threesome with James Dean and Paul Newman. I don't have proof. Um, I don't have, like, hard evidence. If you're one of those people who says, you know, everyone was only straight and had monogamous sex with one person at a time until, like, 1985, I don't know that I'm ever going to have enough evidence to satisfy you. But uh, I want you to know that there's a non-zero chance that it happened. Um, there's a very smutty but book that was once written about uh, various Hollywood goings-on uh, in which the author purportedly asked Eartha about whether or not this actually happened. Because she used to take dance lessons. I'm sorry, give dance lessons to Jimmy Dean. He was like, Eartha Kitt, will you teach me how to dance? And like, yeah, maybe those two beautiful live actors just danced in the afternoons together. But you've seen Dirty Dancing. You know what happens when gorgeous people like start expressing themselves physically. Uh, I just 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 take it into consideration. Anyways, the author uh, reportedly asked Eartha what it was like, and she said, I had them both in one afternoon, and I came to the conclusion that white boys are delicious. Maybe Eartha Kitt said that. Maybe she didn't. I know which world I want to live in, and I invite you to join me there. As the Sufi mystic Rumi once said, beyond... The idea of right-doing and wrong-doing, there is a field. Let us meet there. Let's meet there. I love you all. Thank you for listening to Dear Prudence. Our producer is Casey Miner. Our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. Steve Lichtai is the executive producer of Slate Podcasts, and Andy Bowers is the chief content officer of Panoply. If you like the show, please go to iTunes and write us a review. Reviews help new listeners find the podcast, which means more questions and more advice. Just search for Slate Dear Prudence. I'd love to answer your question. Call me and leave a message at 401-371-DEAR. That's 3327. And you might hear your answer on an episode of the show, like we finally did today. You don't have to use your real name or location, and at your request, we can even alter the sound of your voice. Keep it to about 30 seconds or a minute, and send it to me at prudencepodcast at gmail.com. <laughs>